Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Last fall, when a clergy colleague and I led a Bible study for Unitarian Universalist ministers in the Boston area, we chose the book of Jonah as our text. It is one of the shortest and best-known books from the Hebrew Scriptures. It is also a favorite of religious educators everywhere because it features rather prominently a whale, and that always makes for great graphics. I myself had a couple on hand for the Bible study. I have them again on hand for this sermon. They never get old. My colleague had asked participants to settle on a translation of Jonah that they could read in its entirety several times over. After dithering for too long over this decision, I somewhat impetuously took the message as my translation. The message is the work of Eugene Peterson, a poet and pastor who wanted to do a contemporary rendering of the Bible from the original languages that would be crafted to present tone, rhythm, events, and ideas in everyday language. He succeeded in that endeavor, and he also managed to pepper the biblical books with some savvy editorial notes, too. Everybody knows about Jonah. People who have never read the Bible know enough about Jonah to laugh at a joke about him and the whale, Peterson observes in the message. There is a playful aspect to his story as he bumbles his way along, but while we are smiling or laughing at Jonah, we find ourselves no longer just listening to, but inhabiting the story. Once we inhabit it, we can see that we are implicated by it as well. For those of you less familiar with this fantastical story, it begins with God commanding Jonah to travel to faraway Nineveh and preach to the inhabitants of the need for them to repent of their ways. In a burst of perversity, Jonah catches a ship bound in the entirely different direction. When a storm threatens to destroy that ship, the tempest-tossed sailors throw Jonah overboard. But God sends a whale to save him. And Jonah lives in the belly of that whale for three days and three nights, pleading with God to redeem him. In answer to those prayers, God allows his release. The whale spits him out on the shores near Nineveh, where Jonah can fulfill that original assignment he refused. So he goes to the Ninevites and threatens them with the wrath of God, which doesn't make him a popular favorite. Heeding his warning, the king calls on all the city inhabitants to repent. When they do, God spares them, which, for reasons we shall see, infuriates Jonah. In the message, Jonah's petulance is communicated in tones that many of us can readily recognize from our own worst moments. Jonah yells at God, God, I knew it. When I was back home, I knew this was going to happen. That's why I ran off. I knew you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, he added, rich in love and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment 
into a program of forgiveness. So God, if you won't kill them, kill me. His tantrum seems almost laughable today. He will not be talked out of his anger. God knows because God tries. This strange, funny little book ends with a question, not a conclusion. I'm paraphrasing God here, but the question he poses is essentially this. Seriously, Jonah? Are you serious right now? The book of Jonah is typically recited as the Torah portion during the Yom Kippur services held in Jewish synagogues on the Day of Atonement each year as a rather wry reminder of the necessity of forgiveness. On this highest of holy days, the religiously observant both ask for and grant forgiveness. Of course, faith traditions all around the world hold out forgiveness as a spiritual imperative. Considering the evidence before us today, I think it's fair to say that they have had limited success in selling it to the masses. So Jonah seems not the least bit unique in his resistance to forgiving. We all require so many reminders and exhortations to forgive because our natural instinct as humans is not to forgive, but rather to seek recompense and impose penalty. What angers Jonah so badly in the message is this idea that God, in his words, is ready at the drop of a hat to turn plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. That violates Jonah's understanding of basic justice. He finds it fundamentally unfair. He finds it infuriating despite the fact that this same God turns plans of Jonah's punishment into a program for, of forgiveness only days earlier when Jonah is deposited on the shores of Nineveh. We need to routinely encounter stories of forgiveness in order for them to not seem entirely aberrant to us. Thankfully, forgiveness has started making headlines lately. 20 years ago, a journalist named Marina Cantoscusino founded the Forgiveness Project, an organization dedicated to collecting and sharing stories from all over the world both from the survivors and perpetrators of, perpetrators of wrongdoing. Kanta Cusino noticed that theirs were not the sort of stories that routinely got media coverage, as reporters morbidly joke, if it bleeds, it leads. These quieter stories of people's moral victories, of vengeance not sought, of reconciliation pursued, were too often kept silent. Yet their narratives can serve to bear witness to the resilience of the human spirit and act as a powerful antidote to narratives of hate and dehumanization, presenting alternatives to cycles of conflict, violence, crime, and injustice, according to the Forgiveness Project. Billing itself as a secular organization sharing stories from all faiths and none, the Forgiveness Project publishes books, produces educational materials, and sponsors a program for prisoners that invites restorative thinking in those who have lived experience of trauma. It also has a traveling exhibit cleverly called The F Word, which attempts to openly challenge the negative perceptions of forgiveness. Forgiveness itself is not obscene, the exhibit suggests. It is not taboo. It's not for sucker chumps. 
we can speak of it openly. We can not only encourage, but facilitate forgiveness among individuals, communities, and nations. In April 2023, I saw the F word on exhibit in Memorial Church at Harvard University. It was on loan there for the duration of an international conference that Harvard was hosting that spring called Forgiveness Interdisciplinary Perspectives. Experts from various fields gathered for a few days to share their insights into forgiveness. They incorporated theory, practice, and research in developing sound rationales for forgiving. Recent studies show that there are considerable benefits to adopting forgiveness practices. These include benefits to our physical health, benefits to our mental health, and benefits to overall public health. When we inhabit cultures or climates that are particularly unforgiving, everyone suffers. Nowadays, we see that we can relieve human suffering by introducing and forgiving and fostering forgiveness practices. One of the most popular practices is the REACH forgiveness model devised by psychologist Everett Worthington, who spoke at that Harvard conference last spring. The REACH model was the subject of an ambitious international study in Colombia, South Africa, Ukraine, Hong Kong, and Indonesia, where it consistently demonstrated robust success in alleviating people's distress. Dr. Worthington first began studying the topic of forgiveness because of the difficulty it presented to couples he was counseling through marital conflict. People who were connected and committed to one another regularly struggled to release their grievances against each other. So Dr. Worthington thought about the sorts of attitudes and elements that would make forgiveness more accessible to them. The REACH model includes instructing people to stop seeking to repay the hurts they have known by hurting others and to commit themselves to offering others forgiveness in an altruistic way, regardless of the conduct or the penitence of their various offenders. What began as an academic exercise for Dr. Worthington later became an intensely personal challenge. One holiday season, his mother was murdered during a home invasion and her body was later discovered in the house by his brother. This family tragedy was understandably devastating to Dr. Worthington. So he immediately decided that it would be necessary for him to find some forgiveness in his heart. Using the steps and tools he devised and writing his way through the process, by his account, he forgave his mother's murderer by the next day. The speed of that was highly unusual, he noted. He contrasted that 24-hour period rather ironically with the decade it took him to forgive a professor he believed had unreasonably given him a low grade in a course. But Dr. Worthington was also incredibly motivated in the aftermath of his mother's death. Unfortunately, his brother was not able to achieve similar emotional resolution and struggled with severe symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. The year after the murder, his brother committed suicide. 
Dr. Worthington felt tremendous guilt over this. He had regrets about not working harder or more closely with his brother to help him find greater peace of mind. He observed that it took him much longer to forgive himself for his perceived failures with his brother than it took him to forgive the man who murdered his mother. We might be surprised by the times that forgiveness comes quickly to us, and we might be stymied by the times that it comes slowly, stubbornly, if at all. The emotional logic of our reactions can seem inscrutable at times, especially to ourselves. Increasingly, though, there are resources available to help us in undertaking our own individual forgiveness projects. Dr. Worthington's REACH Handbook is available free of charge online and in six different languages, too. There are TED Talks given by those willing to offer personal testimonials about the relief they have discovered in forgiving. There is a F-word podcast that listeners who might never have the chance to see the traveling exhibit can download wherever they are. The Templeton World Charity Foundation recently launched a Discover Forgiveness program, which attempts to make forgiveness research accessible and actionable to the general public worldwide, largely through an online library of content that includes outlines of activities and exercises. Try to explore some of these resources when you get the chance, and if you find them helpful, consider sharing them. What they all make clear to me is that each of us needs help forgiving. A great deal of help, in fact. Jonah is not merely some punchline to a time-worn joke. Instead, he embodies and articulates the human resistance to forgiving that we all harbor. He also serves as a foil for a patient and forgiving God, the one, frankly, that far too few people have encountered in traditional religious teachings. Another psychologist presenting at the Harvard Forgiveness Conference was Francis Fincham, who has done groundbreaking research on a concept he calls divine forgiveness, which the literature abbreviates simply as DF. When people form God concepts, Dr. Fincham observes, it matters whether this God is a forgiving one. When people hold or are introduced to God concepts that are forgiving in nature, it seems to ease their struggles, both with self-forgiveness and interpersonal forgiveness. There is an association between believing one can be forgiven by a supreme being or a higher power and believing that forgiveness is both possible and a worthy or even necessary undertaking. The God of Jonah is so memorable because that God is the very embodiment of DF. Poet Alexander Pope famously wrote, to err is human, to forgive divine. That may no longer be something we commonly claim as an article of faith. We Unitarian Universalists are quite fortunate to be heirs to those early American Universalists who preached, often to scorn and at considerable personal peril, a gospel of ultimate forgiveness. They were vocal proponents of DF in a Calvinist age brimming with hellfire and damnation. 
They believed in the universal promise of redemption. They foreswore doctrines of eternal damnation. They testified to the reality of unqualified reconciliation that they poetically termed the final harmony of all souls with God. I regret how naive they are considered these days, how readily their thought is dismissed when their witness seems as timely to me now as it ever was, vital, just as revolutionary, just as brave. When the Universalists fell subject to schism, it was over some theological fine print, honestly. The question that divided them was how quickly people could be forgiven. Immediately? or eventually. In our wired age, we watch the internet and social media keep a running score. We see online mobs drive public opinion and exact a rough approximation of vigilante justice. On the World Wide Web, it seems things are neither forgotten nor forgiven. And more and more, people are being punished for mistakes from distant pasts. Recently, there have been calls to cancel, cancel culture already. I echo those now. When Jonah protests that he's angry enough to die, I think we should actually take him at his word. Fury and outrage are indeed lethal. By most indications, our refusal to forgive hurts us more than it hurts any of our antagonists. Life expectancy in America is currently declining as deaths of despair continue rising. Although we no longer find ourselves in the midst of a pandemic, an epidemic of despair persists in this country, and it may yet be worsening. I have no doubt that forgiveness will be a key component in the cure, in the collective cure that we seek. It helps replace an us-or-them mentality with an us-and-them mentality, one that emphasizes our shared humanity. While I do not know what or who those of you with us today need to forgive, or who or what needs to forgive you, I have to assume it's complicated. I have to confess to a few complications of my own. But what if we were to simplify everything this morning, even as a mere thought experiment? Imagine that DF has conceptual validity, as psychologists would say. Imagine it is real. If God language speaks to you, you can borrow that phrase from the message and consider that God has every intention of turning any plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. For a few brief moments, I want you to believe that you are forgiven everything in your life and that you have forgiven everything in your life. How does it feel? How do you feel? Right? because forgiveness is good for us. Speaking as a preacher in a proud universalist lineage, I promise you forgiveness is possible. I also suspect at the cosmic level, it is inevitable. We can be and will be forgiven 
yes, you too can and will be forgiven. Today I pray that all of us can and will forgive too. As people of faith, we should not only normalize forgiveness, we should valorize it. We should consider it indispensable to our spiritual lives. However ridiculous it might seem to forgive, it seems so much more ridiculous to not forgive and this tragic comedy we call the human condition. Being human is hard. It is also, more days than not, a pretty preposterous endeavor. No small part of the reason my colleague and I chose the book of Jonah was its brevity. Jonah appears 10th on a list of the 15 shortest books in the Bible for quick reading. We thought that Bible study participants could easily read it in its entirety in advance of our meeting. If they couldn't manage that, we told ourselves, they could certainly skim a photocopy of the book in minutes, since its four chapters and 1,321 words fit on a single page. I'm embarrassed to admit that this morning's sermon runs almost twice that long. We were trying to make light work for ourselves, and predictably, we failed. Nearly all discussions of forgiveness are hard. And that one we had last fall in a room full of ministers was no exception. Yet the message of Jonah seems to me a timeless one. What I love about the book of Jonah, apart from its delicious comic sensibility and its immense graphic potential, look, a whale, is that it gives divine forgiveness the final word. And in the end, DF poses us with its customarily pesky question, so will you or won't you? Will you or won't you forgive? Will you or won't you? Only you know. Now I invite you to put your hands in prayer posture over your hearts for Namaste. The divine in me bows to the divine in you. Those who take hold of life, may you find life returning your embrace. Those who sense God, may you find God always with you. Those who seek the right path, may the way appear ahead. Step out in faith and go in peace, remembering that you are well-loved and we are all one. So it is, so may it be. Every good blessing on each of you. Bless your good hearts. Amen.
please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace.